I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From PRI, Public Radio International, it's... Recorded in front of a live audience from the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, it's Livewire! With cartoonist Emily Blake and comedian and writer Dave Hill. With music from Giants in the Trees and our fabulous house band... I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank! Oh my goodness, thank you, Elena Passarello, and thank you everybody for coming out to the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. We have a really great show mm-hmm. in store for everybody this week. The theme that we picked is drawing the line. All of our guests uh, are able to speak to that in one way or another. Uh, we asked the crowd here at the Alberta Rose Theater to fill out a little questionnaire when they came in. We asked them, what is the most meaningless thing you draw the line on? And um, some weeks we get like a lot of response and some weeks we don't get as much. I feel like this was a week we got a lot of response. Yeah, a lot of people got a lot of opinions out there about things that maybe don't have like a global impact. Yes, this is an incredibly smart, incredibly petty crowd (laughs) that we have brought into the Alberta Rose Theater this week. So this should be good. I was thinking, and I believe me, I'm at the top of the list of people who can be persnickety about little, little things that don't actually matter. For me, probably the thing that is meaningless that I also draw the hardest line on is the kind of sugar substitute I'm using in my coffee. Mm. It's got to be Splenda. I agree that it's probably not good for me and that it probably doesn't really matter, but I will use it in my coffee uh-huh. and I will not use anything else. And I now orient my world around places I know that will or won't have that. If I am getting on a particular airline that does not have real Splenda, I will hoard Splenda and carry in the pockets of my coat like an 85-year-old person who survived the Depression. So wait, you'll like have some leftover Splenda from a previous night out, or do you go and like... I mean, I do party hardy, so sometimes I just have Splenda from the night before, like, what did I do? (laughs) 
She's got and a, how many calories did I consume? A jacket full of Splenda. You know it. You're like the Tony Matata of yep. Splenda. Also, it's like, I mean, what is two scoops of sugar in your coffee? Maybe 50 calories. I will eat an entire can of Pringles in bed watching Forensic Files in the hotel room. <laughs> and not even blink. But I won't mess with any kind of real sugar in my coffee. <laughs> How about you, Elena? What's something kind of minor that you take very seriously? I get so bristly, like, fingernails on a chalkboard, physically upset when certain parts of speech that are not verbs are verbized. Uh, you know what I mean? You don't like people verbing things? Exactamundo. So what are some examples? Uh, gifted, right? Like I gifted... Like, I gifted this to you somebody? this tote bag, right? You gift, I gifted this. Uh-huh. Uh, you could use that word give. It's even one fewer syllable. Not one less syllable, one fewer syllable. Um, Would you guys be surprised to learn Elena is an English professor at Oregon State University? <laughs> and I'm usually not that guy. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not like a corrector, and uh, I, I believe that language is fluid, but it's especially like the kind of the, the really recent pop culture ones, like broad, like we totally broad out. So you take the noun... <laughs> brother and then shorten it or adulting right uh-huh. I, I adulted so hard when i went to bed at 9 p.m like yeah it drives me crazy when i like remember to bring my own splenda i feel like i'm really adulting <laughs> what is the audience saying uh is the meaningless things that they draw the line on do you see the size of this yes, stack that i brought like a yellow pages <laughs> this is the okay uh these are the the ones with the least amount of profanities in them some oh. of them were just strings wow. of expletives with like turn signal and then just like a bunch of swear words um, here's one from Jen. Jen draws the line in refusing to wash the bacon pan if I didn't cook or eat the bacon. That's extremely reasonable. Mm-hmm. Because that's a chore. But aren't you not supposed to really wash the pan because it makes the next bacon taste better? Like a bowl peanut vat, you know? Now we've moved into your Georgia upbringing <laughs> that I don't follow. <laughs> Like bull peanut, bull peanuts. Vat. Yeah, like a boiled peanut. Oh, boiled peanut. Yeah. You don't use a fresh pot to make bull peanuts. You just use a dirty ass pot. The same with bacon, right? I like the seasoning of the pan. Seasoning. But if you if you look at a pan that bacon has been cooked in, there is like gray fat that has rested there and will be there until. Until it makes more bacon delicious. Wow. <laughs> What's another one from the audience? Okay, here's one that you'll have to explain to me. Uh, it's from Henry. Henry uh, draws the line at, I love travel on a Tinder profile. Oh. What's wrong with that? My guess, it would be that that's something that gets put on Tinder profiles all the time. Because, like, who doesn't love traveling? It's a fun thing. It's Uh, sort of like, in the Northwest, you've always got, like, uh, particularly men, holding a salmon for some reason. (laughs) Really? Yeah. It's like, I'm being outdoorsy. I love travel. And I'm I'm holding a salmon. And I know some of my female friends are like, if a guy's holding a salmon, they just swipe right past it because he's being super Northwest basic. Not because a man wants to get a date by showing you a picture of him holding a fish. Like, that's not the thing that makes you swipe. It's just the fact that it's overdone. No, well, it's just... I would never go out with a guy if my first image of him was him holding a fish by the tail. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, maybe he wouldn't want to eat bacon out of your gross pan, yeah, you Elena. You don't want my bull peanuts. I don't That's know. That's right. <laughs> Let's, you know, I feel like we've really taken on a very adversarial tone between host and announcer Woo! here at the top of the show. And I'm going to take some of the blame for that. Let's get to our first guest. We have somebody just off stage who knows how to draw the line. Like, literally, she's a cartoonist for The New Yorker. And also, metaphorically, because her new book is about awkward hug strategy. It's called... 
That was awkward. The art and etiquette of the awkward hug. Let's welcome Emily Flake to Livewire. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hello. Um, you live in New York, right? I do. So this is a, a long journey to come talk about awkward hugs. Thanks for I making it. <laughs> I'm just that much of an evangelist. Uh, I, I, I found the book uh, very funny, very enjoyable. Also, I saw myself in some of the chapters, which mm -hmm. I don't, you know. I've been watching you. Yeah. <laughs> Was there a particular hug that started this whole thing in your mind that you were involved in, either a great hug or a really bad hug, where you thought this should be a book? So here's the thing, there was, but it wasn't my hug. Um, there was an editor at Viking who had a book party for one of his authors. And at the end of the night, he went to like hug the author and I didn't get details. All he would say is, it didn't go well. So he had- Like he wasn't ready to talk about it? No, and he looked like vaguely traumatized. So, <laughs> you know, I wasn't gonna press the issue cause I'm not a monster, but you know, he had this like long, like dark night of the soul where he just like kept replaying this incident over and over. And, you know, being an editor, he was like, you know, this might make a good book. Um, and apparently when you think awkward physical interaction, you think Emily Flake. So... It, Your brand is strong. It is. Yeah. It really tracks with me both, you know, as a soul and a commodity. So, <laughs> so um, you know, he brought me in and was like, I have this idea for a book. Would you like to do something with this? And I was like, uh, this is squarely in my wheelhouse. So, yes. And here we are. Did you guys hug after you made this agreement? Uh, we did, and it was super, like, this is something, every time I talk about this book, it's like, you know, it's kind of like, I feel like I've brought up lice way too much over the past, like, <laughs> week or so, but it's like when you start talking about lice or bugs and you can't stop scratching, mm -hmm. like, this is what I'm doing to all of you with physical interactions, like, until it wears off. You'll probably be fine by tomorrow, but pretty much every hug you have tonight is going to be awful. Does... Does nobody want to hug you now, or does everybody want to hug you now? Oh, my God. That's such a good question. You know? Yeah. I feel both ways right now. Yeah, like, okay. <laughs> I feel like I want to hug the expert, oh, and I also feel later. like I don't want to be judged for my crappy hug style. No. I, see, that's the thing. I won't judge you, mm. you know, because I both love to hug and, and sometimes really bad at it. Okay. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll work this out. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was surprised by that, Emily, that you are pro-hugging because... I would assume that somebody who would write this book, it would come from a perspective of somebody who's just like, hugs are gross and why are we hugging strangers? And But you actually, you're a hugger. Yeah, um, which I think it makes it more awkward because you know I feel like I like to hug, but I am afraid that people will sense the need coming out of me, like out of my pores. And that makes me very nervous that people will know that underneath I'm just like a golden retriever of a woman and I just want <laughs> like approbation and treats. But so I, I like hugging, I just don't like myself. <laughs> I have a, a, a person who's in the kind of, I, I don't wanna to be too specific because they could possibly hear this on the radio, but there's a person in the, periphery of my life, who I like very much as a person, but when they hug me, they run their hand <gasps> up and down the small of my back, oh. and it's a long hug. Now, this person, I know their intentions are pure. Again, if I get any more specific, you're going to know it's my mom. No, <laughs> that's not true. I really now, my, my wife and I talk about it, I'm like, 
got another one of those hugs the other day from this person. I don't really, it's, it's not mentioned in the book, um, but you do have a lot of different ways that hugs can kind of go wrong in there. Um, yeah, you just gave me a new one that I'm going to have nightmares about. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is the best way to make sure that a, a, a hug is not awkward, or at least minimize the chances? I don't really think that there's any way to make it sure. I, I, you know, nothing is sure in this life, really. Um, I think that you know, an extra beat of just checking in, like, hey, is it cool if I hug you, is is fine, you know, because then you're not left with this, like, oh, no, this is, this isn't, this wasn't wanted or needed. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, consent, it's awesome, apparently. Yeah. Okay, we got to take a quick break. We're talking to Emily Flake. Her latest book is That Was Awkward, The Art and Etiquette of the Awkward Hug. This is Livewire from PRI. We will be right back. Hey, have you subscribed to the Livewire newsletter yet? Every week we share live show dates there as well as peeks from behind the scenes at each episode. The newsletter is also a great way to be part of our engaged community of listeners. You can discover acclaimed authors and thinkers, hilarious stand-up comedy, and of course, live musical acts. You can subscribe today by clicking on Stay Informed over at LivewireRadio.org. Welcome back to Livewire from PRI. My name is Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We are at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. We're talking about drawing the line this week. We're talking to New Yorker cartoonist Emily Flake. Her new book is That Was Awkward, The Art and Etiquette of the Awkward Hug. Uh, I'm curious, uh, when did you first start getting into using cartoons as a way to tell jokes and tell stories? Were, were you always into drawing or were you a storyteller and you figured this is something I can do in an efficient way to tell a joke or a story? It kind of grew together. Um, I, I loved National Lampoon when I was five. That's not a great <laughs> thing to say. Um, and you grew up to be an awkward hugger. I know, weird, right? Um, but I recently was helping my parents clean out their uh, garage and I found this like personal essay I'd written when I was nine where I said I wanted to be a comedian and then in parentheses, that's feminine for comedian. <laughs> and then I said, and I might write some books someday. Um, and no mention of, of drawing, but I always, you know, I always drew. Um, but then I ended up going to art school. And as a result, I now have like a lot more baggage about how I draw than I do about how I write. I did a TV story about Charles Schultz recently, mm -hmm. the, you know, the guy behind Peanuts. And he would do something he called cartooning his cartoon. Mm -hmm. He would just start sort of doodling around and drawing, you know, Woodstock or whatever, before he even knew what the joke was. Mm -hmm. Do you ever do that? Like, what's, what comes first, the idea or the drawing? No, I 100% always write first. And then the drawing is just this sort of millstone. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, and I hesitate before I say that because, like, that is not cool to people who have, like, real millstones or right. have to work in a wheat factory. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I prefer the writing process. <laughs> Do you have, like... Sorry. We just lost most of our listeners in Iowa. <laughs> Thanks, Emily Flake. <laughs> I have to go now. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could say Emily was the first guest this week to cry on Livewire. Um, 
I want to run through some of the hugs that are that are listed in the book, okay? okay. And maybe you can give me a, a description of them. Uh, this is a this just sends a chill down my spine because I've definitely done this before. The I didn't recognize you at first hug. Yeah. Um, so. I feel like, especially when it's somebody that you haven't seen in a while um, and time has had its way with you, uh, you there's that moment where, like, you know, somebody's locking eyes with you and you don't know exactly why, and you're like, maybe this is murdery. But then you realize that they know you, and then you know that there's no way to keep that look on your face of when you do recognize them, that slight like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it does make for a very awkward situation. Um, I mean, and does it, does, it, does it sort of seep into the hug itself, the physical act of the hugging? Yeah, because I think the hug then becomes an apology for what you just did with your face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about the flirty friend hug? Oh, so um, this is like basically drawn right from my husband's business partner, who is like, I probably shouldn't say that in public. Um, (laughs) Hey, Jerry. Nobody tell him. Everybody be cool. But he's just one of those people who, like, you know, and he's happily married. There's no, there's not a hint of sketchiness about him, but he has a way of really, like, focusing on you when you talk and smiling just a little bit like you you have, are sharing, like, a delicious joke. And in your head, and when I say your, I mean my head, I, you know, you know that you know, this isn't flirting, but it registers, like, on a cellular level as flirting. So the hug kind of is charged a little bit, um, and sometimes, sometimes you make mistakes. <laughs> I, I started this worried about what your husband's coworker was going to hear. Now I'm worried about what your husband is going to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is, this is all going very badly. <laughs> How about the hippie uncle hug? Uh, I feel like we're in a real hot zip for that here in Portland. Uh, yeah, the, the hippie uncle, the, the, old, the, the old guy in the tie-dyed shirt who lies about what he did in the 60s. Um, <laughs> uh, you've really written a backstory for this guy. <laughs> like he wasn't really at Woodstock. No, no. And his kindness is performative. Um, <laughs> And he is, at heart, a cruel and selfish person. What does that hug look slash feel like? Slash smell like. Uh, <laughs> Word. It feels brittle, and it smells like old patchouli, I guess. Mm. It's, yeah. Because it's not genuine. It's not genuine. It's performative. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Do you feel like sometimes people who are trying to project the most kind of namaste are the least? Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I have a friend who used to say that, like, you know, punks are nice people pretending to be mean and hippies are mean people pretending to be nice. Wow. You just blew my mind. Like, I want to hug you (laughs) from now knowing that. Um, Is this where it turns into, like, a radio brawl? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but I I feel like that's, that's fairly accurate. 
That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, is there a legitimate defense of hugging between two relative strangers? And, and I, I say that because like, we live in a time where, thankfully, there is at least some shred of accountability now around how we make physical contact with mm. each other. It's just the hug has been a portal for so much <laughs> creepiness to sort of move through over the right. years. I mean, I just, I don't feel like we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater on that, you know? I mean, it's still a legitimate, like, expression of affection. Um, and, you know, if you happen to be a huggy person and you meet somebody for the first time and you hug, um, I mean, I think it's, I think it's great. But yeah, I think just that extra beat of, like, seeing if it's okay, um, I guess that can be a thing. Emily Flake, everybody, we're going to be back with more with her in just a minute. All right, Emily, when we get smart, thoughtful people like yourself here on Livewire, uh, we like to run an exercise with them where we have them answer some questions, some very deep, important questions. Okay. We call this the jar of truth. <laughs> Here's how this is going to work. You're going to pull a question at random out of this actual physical jar yeah. that we have here on stage at the Alberta Rose Theater. Uh, and then our announcer, Elena Passarello, is going to read the question that you've drawn out. We'd like to get your honest answer. Now, here's the thing, Emily, because you, as we've already learned, are an expert in all things awkward, <laughs> not limited to even radio interviews. <laughs> we wanted to get your help kind of discussing and dissecting some of life's more awkward moments. So this is the awkward jar of truth. Okay. So are you see ready? see if I can avoid getting my hand stuck in it then. We actually had to get a larger jar at some point. We had, not for you, <laughs> right, but just... Thank you. Yeah. See, it's already that. awkward. Right. This is perfect. <laughs> All right, Emily Flake has drawn a question. Elena Passarello. Okay, what is the appropriate response to waving back to someone who turns out to be waving at the person who was behind you? <laughs> oh, God, what a... Man, that's a good, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I don't know what the appropriate response is. All I know is what I usually do, which is, oh, and then sort of let my hand kind of wilt back to earth. <laughs> you know? Like an autumn leaf. Yeah, like, like that didn't, I didn't mean, I, it, I, it was just up in the air. I don't know what it was doing. Um, if I do something embarrassing like that, I immediately try to work it into my personality. Like I was in the airport recently and I tried to take a drink out of a bottle of water that the cap was totally mm. screwed onto. Mm. I was like, Err. and then I just did it like four more times over the course of 20 minutes. So people would be like, I guess that's yeah. his move. Yeah. <laughs> just, sometimes you got to really lean into the skid. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Alternately, refuse to believe that that person wasn't waving at you yep. and go greet them and have a whole conversation. That's the most hardcore yeah. sort of double down. Uh -huh. yeah, Committing like to one. the bit. Yeah. All right, Emily Flake, can you draw another question out of the awkward jar of truth? So do you have a response, a go-to response for after you trip in public? Oh, I <laughs> just sink into myself and think about what I've done. I mean, I feel like it's not necessarily an outward thing. It's just a thing where I go into my heart uh -huh. and my awfulness is confirmed, and then I go about my day. It's like you have your own sunken place. Yes, That you exactly. can just sort of like access. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I know, I know what yeah. that is. I try to run out of it. Oh. Mm. Like, you, like you weren't really tripping, that was just your, it was you the were the beginning a of a track meet for one. 
in this Sabaro. <laughs> One time I tripped and fell when I was jogging. It was the last time I ever jogged on the sidewalk in Paris, and two people got off of a bus to help me. Oh my god! I couldn't. Awful. I couldn't. That play is, it out. I've never heard a story about something like that happening in Paris where that was the ending. Paris. Like that's very off-brand. For Did I say Paris? Paris? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I meant Pittsburgh. <laughs> I mean, I can see how you would get them confused. Yeah. And there's a lot of smoking in right. both. Yeah. They call Paris the Pittsburgh of France. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we can make it more awkward than that, everybody. Emily Flake. Great job. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Now, people may think Alaska Airlines only flies from cold to colder, but with 1,200 daily flights and 118 destinations, Alaska Airlines is a gateway from the West Coast to the world. Learn more at alaskaairlines.com. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. Uh, this week, our theme is Drawing the Line. And we asked the crowd here at the Alberta Rose Theater, what's the most meaningless thing that you draw the line on? And Elena Passarello, you've been collecting those up. Uh, what are you seeing? Uh, here's one from Wendy. Wendy will not give a standing ovation unless my mind is absolutely blown, even if everyone else is standing. Wow. Do you, are you aware of this? This like kind of, it's like grade inflation in school, you know, C's are now A's. I have noticed that Wendy never stands. We usually end the show with a standing ovation. That's most weeks. I lie in bed at night thinking, what is it going to take to get Wendy to stand up? (laughs) Maybe like a buzzer under her chair or something. (laughs) I don't think legally we're allowed to do that, but I'm not ruling it out. Okay. Okay. What else? Uh, here's one from Fawn. Fawn absolutely draws the line on socks with sandals. Boy, I would have been like, I would have been right there with Fawn, but the, I'll tell you what, fashion, young people in fashion, I have a 26-year-old, Crocs are cool, no. and they will wear them with socks. Wow. Have you seen Billie Eilish? Sometimes she just wears a giant Croc. She just <laughs> climbs in a Croc and sings a song. <laughs> I think that's how that works. It's a topsy-turvy world. Yeah, I'm trying These to kids today. really get some of the younger demo into our show, and I think <laughs> yeah. I just didn't accomplish that. Yeah, no. <laughs> By Billie Eilish reference. Okay, any others? Uh, here's one from Chris. Chris absolutely draws the line when people say that my dachshund is fat. Oh, I don't feel like that's meaningless. I mean, I feel like, honestly... How much would a dachshund have to work out to not be a little pleasantly plump? Right. Just think about their body type. They're just like Ottomans. I mean, really. Like they- <laughs> Everything in nature is working against them. Yeah. Like you're never going to see uh, a dachshund with abs. It's not going to happen. Just let them live their life. We are talking about drawing the line this week on the show. And that's something our next guest has spent a lot of time thinking about lately. Specifically, the line that's been drawn between the U.S. and our neighbor to the north. His new book is Parking the Moose, One American's Epic Quest to Uncover His Incredible Canadian Roots. Please welcome comedian, podcaster, and sort of Canadian person, Dave Hill, back to Livewire. (laughs) 
Dave, welcome to Livewire. Thanks for having me. <laughs> this is my uh, record fourth appearance, I believe. <gasps> yes. You are the Alec Baldwin no. yeah. of Livewire. Give yourselves a hand. Yeah, actually, you were so lovely. You came out to our big anniversary show, and you actually had to cancel something that was on your calendar for that week, which was recording the audiobook version of your new book, Parking the Moose. Priorities. Plus, you know, he gave me 40 bucks, so I was yeah. on the next plane. <laughs> if you listen, though, to the audio version of Parking the Moose, it just stops about six chapters in, and that's yeah, why. Yeah, yeah, you get a sense of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your story is you were born in Cleveland, but your grandfather yes. was from Ontario and yeah. like just wouldn't stop talking about it, basically? Yeah, well, you know, you know, growing up, we're usually taught that America is the greatest, best place ever. And my grandfather would always be like, it's actually Canada. And, uh, and no matter what we were, you know, we could be eating donuts and he'd be like, oh, pretty sucky American donuts. Uh, <laughs> Canadian donuts are much better. So I was like, he knows what's up. He's my grandfather. So I grew up always thinking that, uh, that America was figuratively and literally beneath Canada. <laughs> always, yeah. I didn't know until I read this book, though, because, Dave, you're always so uh, sort of turned out when you come on the show. You're a very dapper feller. Even for radio, yeah. Yes. You know. Those and pants, you can hear them. They're so fantastic. Yeah, thank really, you. Really, really good. And, and I learned this is because, you know, your dad runs or ran the the golf apparel store in Cleveland. No, my Canadian grandfather. Oh, your grandfather. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I come from a long line of uh, menswear enthusiasts. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He, my grandfather moved to Winnipeg at the age of, of and Winnipeg, oddly, is the, the Cleveland of southeastern Manitoba. A lot of people don't know that. And he moved there to work in a shirt factory, which is a bold move for a 15-year-old of any point in history. And then he wound up in Cleveland and wound up, yeah, the, uh, arguably the preeminent golf attire uh, retailer of the east side suburbs of Cleveland. Yeah. We talk about, I still have some of the sweat. And this was peak golf attire era, like 50s, 60s, 70s, when you could really swing for the fences, which is weird to use a baseball analogy yeah. for golf attire. If you do that in golf, you're definitely losing. Yes. So you, you had this, like, your grandpa was always talking about how everything was better in Canada. Mm -hmm. You had this Canadian superiority complex, and then your grandfather passes away. He died, yeah. I mean, you're going to get that now and again. He died. Uh, <laughs> and then I kind of forgot about it. Uh, and then uh, I was approached by Penguin Random House, uh, who offered me $300 to write a book. No. Um, most Americans don't know, and I, I didn't know that much about Canada. And I was like, one of us, one of us, 320-odd million Americans, one of us is going to have to go up there and see what's going on, because we don't really know <laughs> what's going on up there. So I was like, I'm going to go. I mean, I've been to... Uh, I don't think anyone in America can say this besides me, but I've been to Saskatchewan. <laughs> anyone, anyone been there? Liar, liar, liar. <laughs> Uh, 
along with writing books, Dave, you also, uh, you're a musician. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you did that was really kind of fun was, you know, in the modern era of writing a book, one now releases a book trailer, which is some kind of video component that can be reposted places. And yeah. your, uh, your sort of book trailer for Parking the Moose was actually a song that you yeah. wrote. And yeah. it really lays out the, the premise of the book kind of beautifully. I was wondering, uh, would you consider playing some of the songs? Oh, for I don't us? think people want to hear. All right, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you, you want to hear it? I'll just give you a taste of it. Okay. Can you feel it? Pocket in the moose. It's my book about Canada No matter where you are I think you should read it Park in the moose My grandpa was from Canada So I decided to uncover My incredible Canadian roots I went to Canada Ten thousand rocket Richards. That's a lot of cheese curd. Parking. It goes. You get a sense of it. Yeah. It went. It goes on from there. That's the only time I've ever performed that song. You never know it to hear it. <laughs> wow. But uh, no, I recorded in my bedroom and never gave it another thought. So the music video. Is you're not actually singing it, you're just kind of lip syncing it and I'm just dancing around. I mean, that's the nature of music videos, Luke. You just, you're not actually singing it. You did, you play a lot of hockey in the video. I grew up, well, this is where the, being a Canadian grandfather comes out. We had to, we were thrown onto the ice as soon as the placenta was rinsed off us as kids. So I, I started playing hockey as a, as a kid, I think, to ingratiate. My, you know, make sure I get in the will and stuff. And I was, I was fascinated. I knew where every player was from, like Clark Gillies was from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobby Clark from Flin Fon, Manitoba. Things that mean clearly nothing to anyone here tonight. But, um, and, you know, they just sounded like these magical places. So I did, not to brag, I have been to Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and it's in the book. Did you have a favorite place? Because it's interesting, Canada is not unlike the United States in that there are, it's not just one sort of thing. You know, being in Alberta is very different than being in British Columbia. Totally. Um, I really like uh, Quebec. I had a wild, uh, I had a great time in Quebec City. We went in January, which I don't recommend going to Quebec City. My editor warned me it would be like Siberia with fries. Um, (laughs) We're talking to Dave Hill. His latest book is Parking the Moose, One American's Epic Quest to Uncover His Incredible Canadian Roots. Uh, speaking of, of uh, what's the plural of moose? Moose? I go back and forth on that. Uh, I think it's moose, but right. how fun is that? It's not very fun. Right. I was going to just ask about why they wouldn't sell you a cast iron moose. Oh, oh, oh. This is probably the most Canadian thing that happened in the book. I was in Clinton, Ontario, where my grandfather was from. And it was 
July 7th, I remember this, and, and, they, and it was the 150th anniversary of Canada. So they had this display in this thrift shop in the window of all this Canadian stuff. There was basically this cast iron moose and then a couple hockey sticks, and that was it. Um, oh, oh, there was a sign in the window that said, items in the window aren't for sale until July 11th, right? Four days ahead of time. But I thought, I'm from America. I'm going to go in and buy that moose. And I said, I would like to buy the moose, please. And they said, you can't, you know, it's not for sale for four days. And I said, oh, I'm just up, you know, I was visiting my dad in Cleveland. And I came up to see my grandfather's farm and we're going to leave later. So can I just buy it now? And they said, no. And I said, well, how can I get it? And they said, well, someone's going to have to come pick it up for you. And I said, well, the closest person I know is in Toronto. That's like two hours away. And they said, well, can't your grandfather come and pick it up for you? And I looked at the ceiling and I was like, I don't know, Grandpa, can you? And, um, <laughs> which I thought would, you know, they would break, but they didn't. They were like, oh, sorry. And um, <laughs> I eventually talked them and I, you know, and they said, they, anyway, so I called them back the next week and I said, I'm the guy uh, who, who wanted to buy the moose. And they said, all right, well, email us your address. And uh, this is where, this is where, it gets crazy. Um, and so she emails me back. She's like, all right, the moose is on its way. Send us a check for 50 bucks when you get a chance. Like they sent the moose before, without me paying for it. And I was like, no one in America would ever send a moose unless cash had changed hands. And so I was like, I, America's reputation is at stake. I need to send this check immediately. And um, here we are. Does that mean you sent the check? I did send the check, yeah. Okay. And I got the moose, but also my friend Joe is a sculptor, so I didn't tell him the second half of that story. And he had told me that he would make me a moose very similar to the moose that we had seen that day, and he did. So now I have, if you come over to my house, which I would love that, um, I have two moose sculptures in my home. Not a lot of people can say that. <laughs> Dave Hill, everybody. His new book is Parking the Moose. Thank you. All right, Dave, it's clear that you contain all kinds of wisdom. Some of it useful, some of it less so, maybe. <laughs> but we wanted to get an accurate inventory of just how much stuff you know. And to do that, we have a little segment that we call Let's get quizzical. Let's get quizzical, quizzical. I want to get quizzical. Let's see if you know your stuff. Uh, Dave, you've done a deep dive into Canadian culture and society for this new book. In fact, you've learned so much that you could probably pass the Canadian citizenship test in your sleep. Sure. We didn't want to settle for that, though. You asleep on stage, passing the Canadian citizenship <laughs> test. No, we wanted to push you. So we put together a more challenging version of the existing test. We call it Advanced Basic Canadian. Okay. Or the ABCs. Now, here's the thing. We're going to ask you some of these questions, uh, but because maple syrup plays a pretty important role in your book, Parking the Moose, and let's just say in the lore of Canada, we want to raise the stakes. And so what we're going to do is uh, we've prepared shots of maple syrup. Oh, and if you get an answer... Uh, thank you. <laughs> if you get an answer wrong, you have to do a shot of maple syrup. And okay. if you get it right, Elena Passarello and I have to do a shot of maple syrup. Oh, okay. All right. It sounds like we all, we all win. 
Yes. I drank um, a shot of maple syrup and gin in Canada. Um, together at last. Yes. Okay, here we go. Advanced basic Canadian. Question number one. Canada has its very own Loch Ness monster style lake monster that is reported to live in Lake Okanagan in British Columbia. It's said to flirt with boaters. What is this flirtatious lake monster's name? Reynard, the fluke man, Ogopogo, or Wayne Jetski? I want it to be Wayne Jetski. Oh, we um, do too. But I think it's Ogopogo. You are absolutely right. It's Ogopogo. First reported sighting in 1872. All right, so you got it right, Dave Hill, meaning we Wait. have to do a shot. Oh, you do the Elena shot. Elena and I have to do a shot of maple syrup. Mmm. Oh, you that's... can really taste the maple, can you? That needs some gin in it. <laughs> totally does. All right, question number two. Which popular Marvel character was born in the 1800s in Alberta, Canada? Was it Loki, Groot, Black Widow, Wolverine, or Tobey Maguire? Um, the, the first one. The first one, Loki. Yeah. You are absolutely wrong. I've yeah! never been happier to say that. <laughs> oh. I just got that wrong so I could taste some of this delicious Costco maple syrup. Wolverine, a.k.a. Logan, a.k.a. Hugh Jackman, was born in Cold Lake, Alberta. Dave Hill now doing a shot of maple syrup mm. live on stage. Mm. Wow. I'm diabetic. Is that bad? <laughs> no. The most widely read Canadian novel in the world has sold more than 50 million copies. Is it The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood? Anne of Green Gables? Life of Pi by Jan Martel? Or is it The Boat Who Wouldn't Float by Farley Mowat? I want it to be that one, but it's uh, Handmaid's Tale. You're 100% wrong, my friend. Give Wait, him what? the shot. Wait, it's not. Anne of Green Gables. Prince Edward Islands. Wait, wait, wait. What was the it? Handmaid's Tale has sold 8 million copies. Anne of Green Gables has sold more you know, than 50 million copies. That's the audiobook. Yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Dave Hill making his fourth mm. and last appearance on Livewire. He's <laughs> ready to do his second shot of maple syrup. Mmm. You know what? I'm calling an audible. I don't think we can survive too many more. We're going to the final question of advanced basic Canadian. Whoever loses this has to do all the maple yeah. syrup shots. I, I'll do it. I'm do oh. I got oh. a lot of gamble in me, Dave Hill. Which of the following is the name of an actual Canadian location? Crotch Lake, Ontario. Balls Falls, Ontario. Conception Bay, Newfoundland. Shag Harbor, Nova Scotia, or Climax, Saskatchewan. Well, you're, you're saying which is an actual location? Yeah, which of these is an actual location? All but one of them is. Uh, the one that isn't is Shag Harbor. All the others are actual locations. I don't, I, I, I'm not really sure how to judge this because the problem is I have a real voting interest in you not getting this right. <laughs> I'm the wrong person no, to be Cro adjudicating Crotch Lake is, is accurate. That's a real place. They're all real places. 
Well, I, I, and yet we're both right. Yeah, you're both right. Nobody drinks. <laughs> Yay! Dave Hill, everybody. Thank you. The book is Parking the Moose. Livewire is supported in part by Handsome Pizza, who feeds the Livewire team with delicious wood-fired pizza before each show. Listen, I love being a public radio host. I come in week after week, one, because, well, they pay me, but two, because I get to have free Handsome Pizza before the show. Did you know that for eight years, Handsome Pizza has been serving thin-crust pizzas featuring locally grown grains and produce? to handsome Portlanders just like you? If you want to get your hands on some of their handsome pizza, head on over to the corner of Northeast Killingsworth Street and 16th Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Handsome Pizza, the official pizza sponsor of Livewire. All right, we got to take a quick break. Uh, this is Livewire. We will be right back. Hey, special thanks this episode to Gretchen Webb of Gresham, Oregon. Gretchen is part of the Livewire member community, and she generously supports our show with a donation each month. And we are so appreciative of Gretchen, because without donations from folks like her, we couldn't do the show. So a big, hearty thank you from us here at Livewire, and the listeners, honestly, to you, Gretchen Webb. Welcome back to Livewire from PRI. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, with Elena Passarello. We're at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. Our musical guests this hour are probably the first band we've ever had on the show from Wakayakum County, Washington. It's definitely the first band we've had on featuring one of the founding members of Nirvana in it. Giants in the Trees is Jillian Ray on vocals and guitar Eric Friend on percussion, Ray Prestigard on guitars and Chris Novoselic on bass and accordion. They recently released the 10 song collection Volume 2 and we're so excited to have them here on Livewire. Please welcome Giants in the Trees to Livewire. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to the show. Hello, Portland. Um, Chris, I need to ask you a question that I already can feel like it's not going to end well, but this has been something I've been carrying around for like, mm, it's a story I've been telling folks for 20 plus years of my life. I grew up in Seattle. I grew up on 77th Avenue, right by Aurora, where the Chubby and Tubby was. And I think your Nirvana's guitar tech lived on my street. Ernie Bailey. Yes. And you used to drive down my street in a V-dub van, and I had a scooter, and I would race your van. And you would win. Yes, I, I would. I remember you, yeah. Because, yeah. That is so validating. It was a slow van. Yeah, no, it was a very slow van, honestly. That, I, I'm just like, I was like, we're going to get this guy on the show. I'm going to remember the story. He's going to be like, that's not where that guy lived, and you were racing the wrong person. <laughs> but you're saying, for the record, I did not hallucinate that. You, you would drive your van down my street sometimes, and I would sometimes race you. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. Okay. Well, interview's over. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Giants in the trees. Uh, Jillian, I wanted to ask you uh, how this whole band came together. Like, you guys all live in a kind of a not super uh, urban part. You know, we do. We live in a very small town, and it's just one of those magical things that happened where 
there was a band or a jam meeting in the town and only four people showed up and it was us. Seriously? Yeah. If 10 so people would have showed thought, up, hey, there'd be 10 people up here right now. It's true. I, I, I guess though, Chris, I'm just wondering if it's like, if it's a blessing or a curse to, to be so identified with one band, you were in Nirvana and then you're doing this great band. I saw you guys at the Thing Festival. You guys were amazing. Um, is it, it's is, a blessing. It's a total blessing. Yeah, I totally, totally love it. I'm honored and flattered that so many people still love Nirvana, listen to Nirvana, and I, Nirvana has affected so many people. And I hear that, like, oh, your band changed my life. I, or like, I was a big fan of Nirvana. Like, you're not a big fan anymore? Like, <laughs> people say that, right? But, and uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. And then, you know, I've been living out in the woods there for 25 years, so it's kind of my... My sanctuary, in some ways. Yeah. Are you president of the Grange? Yeah, I'm the Grange master in our local Grange. It's, it's a community service group. We volunteer. You raise money to give it away. We volunteer in a park, a couple parks, a cemetery, and just kind of do that. Well, uh, we're so excited to have you here. What song are we going to hear? It's our new single. It's called "It Goes." All right. This is Giants in the Trees on Livewire.
That was so good. Giants in the trees, everybody. Their album, Volume 2, is available now. That is going to do it for our show this week. Thank you so much to our guests, Emily Flake, Dave Hill, and Giants in the Trees. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, Fully, and the Jupiter Hotel. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Lauren Masterson is our development director. Tim Harkins is our production director. And Christian Sager is our marketing manager. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. And Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is A. Walker Spring, Sam Tucker, and Ethan Fox Tucker. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. And our on-air mix is by Corey Schreppel. Thanks so much to Carlson Audio. Additional funding provided by the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. Our show is made possible by the generous support of our members. This week, we'd like to thank member Chris Becker of Port Townsend, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast or sign up for our newsletter, head on over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much. If you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.